You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 8. Ain. April, 2005. I had been given 96 hours to find her. Mark talked Lori, Tim, Candy, and Matt into staying for four days. They'd still have time to pack up the tent and equipment and go on to Wales if we didn't find anything in the time they gave me. I called the farmer who owned the property, Mr. Treadwell, and told him we were coming up today. As he hesitated, thoughts of him telling me he'd changed his mind ran through my head. I reached for my antacids. Just be sure to close the gate when you come up, he said. It wouldn't be good for me cattle to roam the roads unattended. I thanked him and assured him we'd close the gate. There was little conversation between Mark and I at first. The unpaved farm road was rough and full of ruts, and I was glad we'd a Range Rover and a sturdy van for transportation. I decided not to ask any questions on the ride-up about the discussion of their staying here, I was in the rover with Mark, and the rest of the crew was in the van behind us. Mark convinced the crew to stay, but I didn't know if I wanted to find out how much he told them about our discussion last night. I hoped he'd been discreet about Jana. The morning fog kept the dust down. It was also obscuring our view of the hill. I'd seen the hill and taken pictures of it last fall, but could hardly make out anything in this blanket of cold and moisture. Thankfully, I had my map coordinates out and the GPS in hand, or we'd have driven right by it. It wasn't a large hill and blended in with a landscape of pastures and surrounding hills. It also backed into the mountain just behind it and was just tall enough to see the countryside, making any defense of it by ancient people easier. I knew they'd been here. Now I needed to prove it to the crew and Mark. We parked at the bottom and gathered around the van to unload our little bit of equipment. I asked for a few minutes to walk up to the hilltop and find the first spot I wanted to excavate. I'm only going to get one chance at this, and I'd like to make sure I pick the right area to start. Mark looked at me with concern, sighed, and nodded while the rest of the team demurred and then agreed. The fog started lifting, but the ground was damp and the air was still cold. The rover's heater was on the blink, so the crew got back into the van to wait. Mark went with me. How'd you get them to stay? I asked, as he and I followed the old trail to the top. Oh, Lord, I could tell I was having an attack of what my mother called run of the mouth. I couldn't stop talking. It sometimes happened when I was nervous or happy. She could slow me down by holding a her finger up, but she wasn't here. So without any reason to stop, I continued. When you knocked on my door this morning, I thought it was to say goodbye and please drop off the rover when I was done. Then I opened the door, and there you were, standing with a trowel on your hand and a smile on your face. By the way, did you have Mrs. Dingleberry pack us a big lunch? I didn't have time to eat breakfast, as you know. I ran out of breath. Mark shook his head and chuckled. We reached the top of the hill. Sunlight and warmth filled the last steps of the trail, and we surveyed the scene below. The valley was still invisible, and I imagined this is what Noah saw after landing on Mount Ararat. A sea of gray. Nothing but the ground we stood on and the mountain behind us visible. It was fun to see you so flummoxed, said Mark, and I've never seen you speechless before. 
you certainly are back to normal. When we were dating, I barely ever got a word in edgewise. Anyway, last night I explained the job offer in Wales. Then I said to think of the opportunity of finding a new location in Scotland. I told them to imagine being the first team on a new dig and all the exciting things that could come of it. Finally, I asked them to compare it to being one of many on an established dig in Wales and getting paid. They, of course, being of sound minds, chose Wales. I then implored and finally retreated by offering them 500 pounds each if they stayed for the rest of the week. They said they'd stay four days. No pressure on you or anything, but something had better come up out of the ground fast. Looking over the edge of the hill, I asked, Where are you going to get 2,000 pounds to pay them with? Mark reached out and touched my arm. I turned, not knowing what to expect and still feeling the possibility of loss in my stomach. His eyes were the lapis blue I remembered from our university days, the color I saw when, together we made plans for the future, plans to conquer history. The feeling of loss was replaced with something else, confusion. Why did it feel like I'd been standing beside him in this place forever? Ain, I've almost enjoyed this last month, gathering the crew together and getting here. I thought of it as a challenge. He paused, shuffling from one foot to the other, his hands deep in his pockets. And I have to admit, a way to get to know you again. His hands came out of his pockets and ran through his hair. I'm sorry I was such an ass last night. Doug's call took me by surprise. Why don't we call a truce and see what the next few days bring? I thought it over after we talked in your room last night. I spoke to them, he said, pointing down the hill, after I'd already decided I'd stay for a week. I told myself, just pretend it's a small vacation. God knows I won't get one for a long time if I go to Wales, so I'll just sit tight and let the youngsters do all the hard work and I'll man the computer. The money will either come out of the grants you'll get from the dig or you'll sell everything you own to pay them, he said, looking at me with a sly grin. Oh, God, I'm already in debt up to my armpits. Oh, well, if it all goes like I know it will, we won't have to worry about anything anyway. And you won't have to go to Wales. We'll have all the money we need. Suddenly, serious, I asked, Mark, will you be unhappy here? I had doubts earlier and still have a few, but I made the choice to stay. Heaven knows why, but I'm going to make the most of it, even if only for a week. Mark and I walked around the edge of the hill. I stopped every so often and bent to touch the ground. Then I could smell the peat fires around me. I heard animals in their corrals and felt the vibrating footsteps of people. This was where I was supposed to start. I turned to Mark. We'll start digging here. The fog cleared enough to see the bottom of the hill. We waved to the van, and they came tumbling out and grabbed the little equipment we had. Stakes and twine to mark the quadrants, and for digging, spades, trowels, brushes, and sifting screens. After trudging up the path, Tim marked the area I pointed to with the stakes and twine and asked me why I had picked it. It just felt right, I answered. I didn't tell him a warm feeling came over me as I felt the ground, a feeling that raised the hair on the back of my neck. Jana had touched me. After marking the quadrants, we started removing and sifting the first layers of topsoil. We found the first pieces of pottery just before we left for the day. We were using hand trowels to remove the soil at that point, but the ground wasn't difficult to dig in after we cut through the sod with the shovels. 
The sun hid behind the clouds, and we stayed cool, even though we worked hard. We'd been digging for several hours and found nothing when I decided to take a short break to watch the sifting. Matt balanced our square-framed screen on his hip. On the other side, it was supported by pieces of lumber attached to the screen frame. The soil that was going through the screen created a pile at his feet. The rocks that came up were tossed to the right of him, and anything that he felt needed a closer look was laid to his left in a bucket. So far, the bucket was empty. I watched as three small pieces of pottery emerged from the debris and lay on the screen along with the larger pebbles. Matt stopped shaking the screen and looked at me with anticipation. The pieces were dirt-covered and might have been overlooked by an amateur. With experience, you get an eye that searches for anything that looks as if it were man-made. I picked them up and looked for signs of age. They are coil pots, I observed, brushing off some of the soil. I walked them over to Mark and handed them to him. He looked at them and said, yes, this could be good news. I don't think that we should break out the champagne yet, though. He handed them back to me and said, I hope there's more, lots more. Back at the inn, I asked Mark to call and ask George Wymouth to come, while I was on the phone looking for more money for the project. I now had employees and tests to pay for. With George's connections to labs, he could get our items carbon dated quickly. Without his help, it would take months to get results, and I didn't have months. In the second of my four days, we found a bronze blade, similar to the one the farmer showed me last fall, more pottery, and two post holes. I was giddy after the post holes became visible. This could be the reason to open a bottle of champagne, I laughed. Mark stood next to me, and I pulled myself up on tiptoes to kiss him. As I started to go back to the level ground, he grabbed my waist, looked into my eyes, and said, Congratulations, Ain. You may have a viable sight. He let me down, and shrugging his shoulders, said, And I may have to stay another week just to see exactly what is here. I usually don't notice sunsets while I'm working. At that time of the day, I'm in the tent, helping sort all of the items we'd exhumed during the day. This one, however, pulled me into a whirl of feelings. I noticed the pink colors floating around me while I was walking from the tent to the rover to get my coat. I glanced up at the sky, but I wasn't expecting the grandeur that overcame me. The daytime scattered alabaster cumulus and steel-gray nimbus clouds wore edges of cyclamen pink, and the sun was just sitting on the cusp of the three hills across the pasture. Everybody come and see this! Wow! I said. Lori and Kendi came out of the tent and looked around. Kendi said, It's beautiful. Sunset is the best time of the day. I use these colors in my art at home all the time. They're so peaceful. Lori continued, Oh, it's wonderful. Phew! Just look at those clouds on the horizon, though. I'm sure glad we covered everything. I think we may have a gusher tonight. Tarps weighted with stones covered our working area. Mark walked over and I shivered in the cooling air. I snuggled into the warm curve of his arm and shoulder, and he opened up his coat and gathered me into it. I sighed, knowing I could get into trouble with this man all too easily. I felt a stirring of interest in his body vibrations and wondered what he was thinking. I don't think I've taken the time to see one of these in a long time. It's pretty good, Mark said. He turned to take in the sight behind us. 
Look, up on the trail, there's the last bit of sunlight hitting that pile of rocks. It looks like a beam from a ray gun on a spaceship. Kapowie! Rocks and bad guys gone! Hey, is there a good movie playing in town? The mood ruined, I said. I swear, I'll never get used to you guys and your lack of romance. Just go and let me look at this for just a few minutes. I shushed him off with my hands. He left his coat on my shoulders and walked to the rover to get CDs to use for a backup for his computer. The sky went from a light blue to Delft in about two minutes, and the clouds from rose to mauve with it. I was enjoying every moment and turned back to the mountain behind us to look at the trail where Mark's imaginative laser beam was pointed. The light was still being concentrated on the spot through a trick of the clouds, but a few shadows were beginning to creep up. Suddenly, I knew I needed to get a closer look at that pile of rocks. No big revelation or scene in my head, just the certain knowledge that I was going there tomorrow. If it did rain, I hoped the weather cooperated and the rain would stop early in the morning. I didn't want to climb it in a storm, but there wasn't any question of going. I was going. I memorized the rocks and boulders nearby and knew I could find it in the morning. Back at the tent, the team was talking about the latest sci-fi movie they'd seen and the one they hoped to catch tonight. Ain, we're going into town for dinner and to catch a movie. Coming? Mark asked. Sure. This may be the last good night out I get for a while, I said, knowing my evenings would be taken up by deciphering the day's work the further along we got. I wanted this dig to be perfect. Let's take the rover and the van so we won't have to cram into one car, suggested Mark. Put the box of pottery and the blade in the back of the van, and Matt and I will take it to Mrs. Dingleberry's. Tim can take the rover with Ain, Kendi, and Lori, and we'll meet you there. We got into Fort William about an hour later and found a cafe next to the movie theater that was showing the film we wanted to see. It was one of the ring movies, and we were all excited to have a night off to enjoy it. Mark and Matt arrived thirty minutes behind us. Mark, I asked, how long until the registration of the site is done, and when is George getting here? A few days, and tomorrow. The Scottish Historical Association will process our request for listing on the monuments list, and George will get in on the morning train. I thought you and I could wait here tonight and bring him back to the dig in the morning. He gets in around eight, said Mark. A chorus of catcalls and laughter went up from the rest of the team at that suggestion. The other customers in the cafe looked at us and found a noisy group of disheveled friends. No wonder you wanted to bring two cars. We thought that was a bit extravagant of the tight Scotsman in you, Mark, said Laurie. A night in town with a lady. No, no, Mark said. I was thinking of your comfort. Tim is always complaining about not having enough room for his six-foot-five-inch frame and size 13 feet. Now don't go pinning this on me, Mark. I can fold up nicely when needed, said Tim. I listened. Heat climbed up my back and around my neck and infused my face at these remarks. If Mark and I decided to stay, it will be in separate rooms. There is nothing else to it, and I will thank you to stop this, I said. Anyway, I didn't bring clothes or anything else for overnight, so I probably won't stay. Mark said, don't worry. There's a small shop where we can get whatever we need. That encouraged them, of course, and when we got into the movie, I was upset with Mark for putting me into this position. 
I angled my way around everyone else until I stood next to him as we slipped into our seats. What was that all about? What have you been saying to them that has them thinking we are a couple? I wondered if I wanted us to be a couple. What would be wrong with having Mark as my lover? No, I don't want anything permanent now. I have to get my career back on track. But just one night? What could that hurt? I searched through my pockets for my antacids. Just the truth, he said. I told them we enjoy working together, that I respect your knowledge and decisions and would follow you to the ends of the earth if you asked. His eyes told me he was teasing. I turned to slap his shoulder in response, and he gently caught my wrist. I tried to twist it away and was surprised by his eyes. They sparkled. They actually sparkled in that dim theater light. He smiled and kissed my fingertip. I gasped. Then, unasked, my fingers touched his lips, and my eyes welled with unshed tears. The movie started, and he held my hand through to the end. I don't remember the plot. The exiting crowd escorted us outside. Thank heavens the rain hasn't started. I hate driving on these single-lane roads in the dark as it is. I can't imagine doing it in a storm, too, Matt complained. What? Driving in London is easier. Don't be a bloody galoot. Just pull into the turnouts when you see the headlights and wait for them to pass. The Hylians will appreciate you not trying to race them through the straits. Too many tourists try that and lose. So let's keep the natives happy, right? said Mark, reaching into the van and pulling out an overnight bag. How unfair that he had packed for tonight and I didn't. Yes, we Highlanders use our roadkill and haggis, remember? So do take care on the long road back, I laughed. They climbed into the van and waved as they left. I have reservations at the Koran Inn for us. Come on, let's walk. It's just a few blocks from here. Right. I'm glad it isn't raining. It'd be a mess to work in in the morning if it were. I've something I want to look at, and I wouldn't want to do it in a storm. Here I go again. Why do I feel the need to talk? I know. Being alone with Mark is making me nervous. I want to be here, but what do I expect? I'm glad George is coming. I know we'll find something great, and I want him here to see it. He's helped me all through my career, and even before, in school. I appreciate him. Ain? Yes? Shut up. We walked quietly the rest of the way to the inn, watched over by Ben Nevis, the air smelling of the expected rain. The inn was built with the magpie construction that was so popular trying to look historical. It was modern inside, and I was glad to see the farce wasn't carried out any farther than the exterior. Mark had reserved one room with twin beds. When I called, they were full except for this room. We've shared tents before, so I figured we could share this room. I thought of calling somewhere else, but I've stayed here and I like the location, the view, and the name of this place, so... As I walked to the window, I noticed the room smelled like Mrs. Dingleberry's Inn, lemon wood wax. I lifted the curtains and said, There's a gorgeous view of the mountains, even with the clouded sky. But the name, Koran, Rowan, why do you like the name? Oh, it's the wizard tree. I thought I could use a bit of magic to get you to stay here tonight. It is my favorite tree because of its magic. Wizards, witching wands, and such. Hmm, 
Well, here we are, I said as I turned to the hospital-cornered beds. Which bed do you want? These are longer than the beds at our inn. I'll bet your toes hang out over the end of those elfin beds, I said, chuckling. This will be a treat for you tonight. Well, I need to go to the store and get the things I need for tonight. Where did you say it was? Close by? Not too far, but I don't think you'll need much, he said as he picked up the overnight bag, opened it, and dumped it out on the bed. Out fell his change of underwear, toothbrush, and shirt, followed by my undies, bra, shirt, and shampoo. He'd even remembered to bring my toothbrush and hairbrush. Surprised, I went through the items. Wow, you take big chances, Mark. How do you know I'd say yes to staying? Well, I knew you couldn't resist helping me pick up George. Here, he said, unzipping a side pocket of the bag. I hope you won't be upset by my touching it without your permission, but I hoped you'd share a bit with me tonight. He pulled out my bottle of scotch wrapped in a towel. Oh, thank you. This is perfect. A dram of the lovely will hit the spot right now. Would you pour for both of us, please? We made ourselves comfortable in the overstuffed armchairs that crowded the room, sipped our drinks, and discussed the day. We'd a bit of good luck finding more pottery in the set of post holes today. The pottery should be able to give us a date. The post holes are a sign of inhabitation. We may have a hill fort, I said. My name will finally be first on an excavation report. I've been waiting a very long time for that to happen. Yes, I agree. It looks as if there might be something here. Let's give it a bit more time before we start claiming what it is, however. It could be a simple travel hut for a hunter, and we won't find anything else. We've only been digging for two days. You should have heard the story I told George to get him to come here. You're going to owe me for a long time. We'd better find something big soon, or he may disown you as a friend, Mark smiled. But don't worry. Yes, your name can go on the report first. Suddenly, a flash overfilled the room with light, followed by a loud, rolling rumble reminding me of boulders being tossed in a flooding riverbed. What the he- Oh my gosh, it must be pouring, I said as I got up and walked to the window. It was covered in rivers of water. I'd been standing there but a few seconds when Mark came up behind me. I felt his body heat. Oh, please touch me, I thought. My breath left my body in a rush. I loved this man. Just realizing it again after so many years, my mind was spinning. After Brad, I swore off love forever. Mark kissed the back of my neck. That did it. Any resistance I'd had was gone. And he knew it. I melted against him, and he caught me in the circle of his arms. He smelled like the ancient earth that we were digging in today, full of mystery and truth. I turned to face him on tiptoe, barely reaching his Adam's apple, and kissed him as he leaned his face down to mine. His beard was softer than I thought it would be, and I inhaled the fumes of the aged scotch on his breath. I reveled in the sense of protection I found next to him. His hands came up into my hair and cradled my head. I was enchanted. Oh, yes, Haran was the right name for this inn. We broke apart, breathless. I looked into his eyes and asked, Mark, where did this come from? He wrapped his arm around my waist and said, Ain, 
I loved Darlene. I'm glad I'd those years with her. He paused for the length of one breath. But you were my first love. I was working up the courage to ask you to marry me when Brad stepped into the picture so many years ago. It killed me to watch your career fall by the wayside, and I thought you were out of my life forever. I tried to tell you that he wasn't doing right by you a long time ago, but couldn't. You knew and just stood back and watched? You needed to find out on your own what a loser he was and fight it on your own. That was the only way you'd be free from him, he said. Memories slammed into me and I tried to catch my breath as he said, Look, Ain, I was disturbed when I left your room the other night, but I figured I've known you for a long time and you've made some stupid decisions in your life, but you've never seemed crazy. I don't owe you anything. Hell, you owe me. You left me for Brad. I cringed when I heard the pain in his voice, but I kept my eyes on his. There was nothing I could say in the face of the truth of his words. I went a bit crazy for a while. I decided that I'd never love anyone else. I was really messed up. I followed everything that you and Brad did, and I watched you as he took your life away. Don't get me wrong. Darlene was wonderful. I'm glad she was a part of my life, and I never cheated on her. I loved her, and she still has a place in my heart. But she never took your place. You had a hold on me that I can't explain. I never seemed whole. Now, maybe we've another chance. And even though I'm scared of getting hurt again, I don't want to miss it. I stood rooted to the floor, not able to move. I was petrified and humbled. He was trying to forgive me. Tears stung my eyes. I am sorry, Mark. What I did was so wrong. I've no excuses, but I think I've paid for it. Yes, I guess you did. He circled me again with his gentle bear hug, lowered his head, and used his mouth to cover mine in a deep, long kiss. I tasted the tip of his tongue. Feelings of order, things being right in the universe, came over me. I'd not felt this way since he and I were together in college. He was my life partner, my teacher, and my love. Ain? Mm, yes, I answered, breathing fast. I wanted to do this right. Is this romantic enough? He whispered into my ear. Shut up. One of his hands came down from my hair and settled in the small of my back and pulled me closer. We didn't want to let go of each other and waddled to the closest bed. I began to laugh, and Mark covered my mouth with his and gave me something else to do. Oh, my God, it's been years since I'd last made love, wanted to make love, and I'd feelings I thought were gone forever. My heart tattooed against my chest, my breath was ragged, and my conscious thoughts were gone. I'd one thing on my mind, and from his reactions, fast breathing, drumming heartbeat, and one noticeable hard item. I knew he felt the same way. We sat on the edge of the bed and Mark's hands began to explore my back. He grabbed my tucked-in shirt and began to pull it out of my pants. We were still kissing but without the earlier panic. We knew we'd be here for each other and time didn't matter. 
My shirt was above my waist, and his warm hands touched my cool skin. Fire and ice. I melted even more. His hands crept up under my shirt and came to my bra. I knew one truth. If he stopped for any reason, I'd die. I prayed he knew how to undo this bra. He did. His fingers cupped my breasts, and his thumbs circled and gently pinched my nipples. I pulled back from him, unbuttoned the two top buttons on my shirt, and pulled it over my head. He let my bra slip to the ground. Ain, you're perfect. I knew you'd be. Beautiful, he said as he lowered his mouth to a nipple, licked it and sucked it. My back arched to meet his mouth, and I gasped. Now I wanted more. Let's get your shirt off, I said. I reached over and started to unbutton it when he jerked the shirt off, popping a button across the room. I brought another shirt for tomorrow. Don't worry, he said, and grinned when he saw my surprise. He turned the lamp off, and the only light in the room came from under the bathroom door, just enough to let us see what was necessary. We pulled off the rest of our clothes, climbed under the down spread, and started kissing again, his tongue exploring my mouth and mine teasing his. His hands were velvet, rubbing all over my body. He explored tender spots not touched in years, and I was ready to explode. I brushed my hands down his furry chest into the curve of his taut waist. His stomach began to vibrate, and I heard an intake of his breath. I slid my hands down to his thighs. This time, he arched and groaned. We were together in lust and love. When it was over, I cried tears of completion and happiness. I kissed his neck and shoulders as he lay on top of me. He wasn't heavy. I wanted to be covered by him, still have him inside me, kissing the top of my head for a very long time. When he rolled off, I rolled with him and snuggled. The world seems right when I'm with you, I said. I think I'll need a lot of this. Me too. Do you think we stand a chance? Oh, God, I hope so. I hope you can forgive me. I'll try to make it up. I kissed his hairy cheek. I want another drink, do you? I scooted out of bed, found his shirt, and put it on against the coolness of the room. I poured two fingers of scotch into our glasses. Sniffing the pungent odor of iodine and peat mixed, I handed the tumblers to him to hold as I climbed into the bed. I piled my pillows against the headboard and retrieved my drink. He balanced on one elbow, took a swallow, and looked at me. After I sew the buttons back on, I think I'll give you that shirt. It never looked like that on me, he teased. Hmm, cute. Sounds like a beach romance. Suddenly, I smelled a very strong scent. Do you smell it? Do you smell the smoke? I asked, sniffing and turning to Mark. I saw the confused look in his eyes and said, She's here! I smell peat smoke. Oh, get me some paper and a pen, quick! From the desk drawer, hotel stationery, anything! Just get it! He brought them back as I sat my glass on the floor. I took the pen and paper from him, just as her thoughts started running through my mind. Who's here? What's wrong? demanded Mark. I'm fine. Just let me be quiet for a few minutes and then I'll tell you. Jonna was here. 
I closed my eyes and let her thoughts put pictures into my head. She stood in the spot on the mountain where the sun shone at sunset. She was there with someone, looking back at her village. Several homes stood on the hilltop, farms in the surrounding valley and three hills in the distance. I could feel her happiness. She loved this spot, and she shared it with those that she loved, a man and a child, their daughter. I could feel the two standing beside me. I saw her home, the one closest to the gate, with the unusual small alcove. Something was heavy in my hands. She looked at a bronze bowl. It wasn't the one I found last year. This one was different. A big red forest fox ran in the path across in front of them. My mind went blank. The pictures were gone. Jana was gone. I wrote down what I could remember, sights and feelings that ran through my mind, and drew a picture of the bowl. I sketched three ravens as I saw them on the outside of that bowl. When I was done, I slumped in exhaustion and the paper and pen fell into my lap. Mark leaned over and took me into his arms. What the hell was that? I thought you were having some sort of seizure or something, and then you started writing. What happened? I'm sorry, but Johnna came. I felt her touching me several times today, and I wanted to get everything she told me on paper so I didn't forget it. I saw the hill fort, Mark. It's there. Your ghost? Your invisible friend, Jana? he asked as he leaned back on his pillows. Well, did she show you where to find some money to pay the crew with? I remembered the invisible friend poem my girlfriend made up when we were kids. I picked up my glass of scotch, put my folded notes in my pants pocket so I'd find them tomorrow, and went to the bathroom to take a shower. I didn't say a word. I had just stepped onto the hot spray when the bathroom door opened and Mark walked in. All right, I'm sorry. I promise to try not to make fun of you about this again. I thought about his apology for a nanosecond and accepted it, and invited him into the shower with me. He kissed me, and we made soapy love again under the warm spray of the shower. The next morning we rose early, breakfasted, and walked to the train station. The rain stopped about an hour before we went out, but the air still hung heavy with the ozone from the lightning storm. The gutters were full of fast-running water as we crossed the streets. We arrived at the train station by 7.30. People were milling everywhere waiting for the train from London to arrive. Some waited to greet lovers and family, and others with luggage were ready to start an adventure. A loud din surrounded us. I glanced up at Mark as he looked out over the crowd. I know what happens to me is very hard for you to believe. It would be hard for me to believe, except I'm living it. I'd never told anyone else, not even Brad, and I want to keep it that way. Please don't mention it unless we're alone. I grasped his arm to keep him close, and he leaned down to hear me. Okay, I haven't, and I won't tell anyone until you do. By the way, do you get warnings when this is going to happen? Does it ever happen when you're driving? Yes, I smell peat smoke. Sometimes it's just a whiff, and sometimes it's thick. Last night it was heavy. And no, it's never happened while I was concentrating on something like driving. I need to be relaxed. Good. Let me know when you smell it, and I can get a drink and turn on the TV so you too can converse in peace, he suggested as he continued to survey the crowd. Pulling on his sleeve to get him to look at me, I asked, Mark, all of this must seem strange to you, but you're still here. Why? 
Most people would have run at my first mention of Jana. I couldn't believe you didn't go downstairs and tell the team about her. I was surprised the next morning when you weren't on your way to Wales, and you're still here, after last night. Why did you stay? He pursed his lips and nodded, as if deciding to answer my question was difficult. Okay, here's my confession. I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I have an aunt in Ireland who talks to the dead. Or so she says. My uncle says she got bored with him and wanted to bring some excitement into their marriage. She says that isn't true, but she does love being Fay. My uncle doesn't fully believe her, but says it doesn't harm anyone. No one else admits to it, although my cousin seems a bit strange at times. Of course, that could be just because she lives in Ireland. They seem happy, and ghosts are a big part of this island. They're woven into our history, and who knows? This may be that one piece of information that will lead us to our pot of gold under the rainbow, he said, shrugging his shoulders. Thank God for his Irish aunt. I decided I'd have to meet her some day. The train arrived in all its thunder and confusion. We watched for George among the detraining passengers, me jumping up and down trying to see past the bodies of those around us, and Mark calmly looking over the heads of the crowd. Then Mark waved and yelled, George, hi, over here! Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Rudaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, I Will Return, from the Sons of Summerled album. His music can be found at www.etherean.com who, along with Steve, have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about me at www.radasky.com. Oh, I will live in your life and all your And I will sing out my song, will guide my wrongs the best I can. And I will be free long before the silence.